welcome to the second season of Reach Next Generation Podcasts. I'm Grace Jeffries and I'm thinking about my future. To help me with this, I'm speaking to successful women to get an understanding of the challenges they faced throughout their careers, how they became them and what tips they for girls of my age. Today my guest is Dr Hayatun Salem, CBE. Hayatun is CEO of the Royal Academy of Engineering and Queen Elizabeth's Prize for Engineering. She chairs the government's Innovation Expert Group and St Andrew's Prize for the Environment and co-chairs with Sir Sir Lewis Hamilton for his Commission on Black Representation in UK Motorsport. Wow, you do a hell lot. (laughs) How do you find any time? (laughs) Well, thanks for joining me today, Hayatun. Can we start by you telling us all how your career took you into engineering? Thank you, Grace. And yeah, well done as well on your podcast. I think it's amazing what you're doing. Um, so I came into engineering via a very unconventional route. That was I came via cancer research. So oh, wow. I originally studied biochemistry at university and then did mm-hmm. a PhD or a doctorate, which is like an advanced degree. Um, and I was working on how the cells in our body communicate with each other when they come into contact with a virus. Yes. And I, I was going to spend the rest of my life working in medical research. But unfortunately, I had to have a really big change of plan because I developed health problems, which meant I couldn't work in a lab anymore. And it was a bit of a nightmare. I had absolutely no idea what I would do as an alternative. I had no plan B. But as is often the case, you reach a fork in the road and you just take the fork that seems right and you end up somewhere interesting. So I stumbled into the world of engineering and um, I started off working on advising decision makers like politicians um, on technical topics that impact on people's lives. So, for example, how technologies can help us to tackle climate change or how engineering and biology can come together to give us new tools for helping us understand and treat disease. Um, and I was totally surprised because I had no idea that engineering was everywhere in our world. Um, there I was in my old life thinking that we were going to come up with these massive breakthroughs that would help us cure cancer. And I never for a minute stopped to think that actually engineers had made my research possible and that yeah. even if we did have that breakthrough moment, um, none of it would reach any patients. It wouldn't benefit anybody without the work of engineers. So it was a big learning experience for me. Well, then engineers definitely do a lot, but they don't seem to get much credit for it. It's quite behind the scenes. I think that's a really, really great point. So I often think of engineers as being the hidden enablers of almost everything that we take for granted in modern <laughs> life. And we need to make them a bit less hidden because actually we, we want people to understand how our world works and, <laughs> yes. and to be attracted to the great jobs that, that engineers um, actually often do. Definitely. Well, when you were at school, did you know what did you know what you wanted to do or be? And did you know that you wanted to work in biochemistry and medicine or did that happen more later in life? Yeah, I, I was one of those people at school which had a quite balanced skill set. I was, you know, what they call an all-rounder. So I didn't have like one standout subject or something. And actually, that makes it really hard to know what you want to do then for the rest yeah. of your life. Um, and I was at a, a girls' school. And if you were a girl at si- and good at science, typically people said, oh, you've got to be a doctor. And I just knew I didn't want to be a doctor. But I did quite like the idea of working in a lab and I wanted to work on things where I felt that I was you know, making a difference, doing things that mattered. And so that's why I, I wandered into medical research. Um, and I do think that STEM subjects are really great. So STEM being science, technology, engineering and maths, because yeah. they give you, they give you like a passport that they give you options later on. So yeah. I think actually it was, 
it was good that I that I sort of drifted that way, even if I didn't have a great master plan at that time. Well, I know you went to Oxford University. How important do you think it actually is to go to university, considering there's so many apprenticeships throughout so many companies nowadays? Yeah, a really important topic. Um, and I think things have changed a lot. As you say, apprenticeships have um, really become a much more visible part of the sort of um, the options that you face when you're thinking about whether you want to continue in education or not. I think for me, going to university and going to a university like Oxford was a big deal. My, my dad actually comes from South Africa and he was the youngest of nine children and the first in his family to go to secondary school. And he became a teacher. And so education was a really big deal for him. And um, I think by my having uh, you know, such a sort of positive academic experience, it, it helped build my confidence. So I've spent most of my career being in a minority, looking around, not many people who look like me. Um, and I think having that good degree and then later a PhD gave me a kind of confidence, made me feel like I belonged, even if on the inside I felt different. And I also really enjoyed my subject. So I found it very rewarding to learn more about how the world works and to conquer a subject that I didn't really know much about before I started studying it. And that then in turn um, opened doors for me, gave me options later on in my career, because I think most STEM jobs do require you to have formal qualifications and study. Um, But I do completely... Um, recognise and, and I think it's really important that everyone does acknowledge that people achieve all sorts of extraordinary things through a, a whole range of different routes and if I were going back and looking at my options now I would definitely want to consider apprenticeships alongside um, the classic career route and then you see a lot of people going off and being entrepreneurs as well yeah. so I think it's a very personal thing and it's very fortunate it worked out for me the way it did but I also think we shouldn't we shouldn't sort of feel that if we don't make the right decision at one time point that that cuts off future options. It really doesn't. I mean, we're going to be working for a very long time. Yeah. Even those of us who've been in the workplace for 25 years, you know, we're probably just halfway through our careers. Yeah. So there's no way that you can kind of balance everything on decisions you made when you were 14 or 16. It's crazy. We should give ourselves more more freedom to, to keep on growing and developing. Well, could you tell me a little bit more about the work you do with Sir Lewis Hamilton? And also maybe... How do you think someone maybe in sport and someone maybe in the sciences could work together in the future? Yeah. So um, the the uh, commission I, I've just finished co-chairing with Lewis Hamilton was all about how um, we could improve the representation of black people in UK motorsport. And within that, people who are doing roles that are more technical. So typically they'd be engineers, um, but there are some other science and technology related roles in motorsport. And although motorsport's quite a small industry, it's a really high profile one. So literally hundreds of millions of people around the world watch Lewis race. And so if there aren't many people who look like them or, or, or there's, you know, you look at the, um, you look at the TV screens and you see um, your computer and you see people who are all sort of similar. Maybe they're all men, maybe they're all white. It doesn't necessarily make you feel that that could be you doing those jobs. And Lewis feels very strongly that he wants more black people to see themselves as having a future in motorsport and to benefit from the incredible opportunities that are there. And so he asked the Royal Academy of Engineering to help him research the problem because it's all very well to say, I really want to drive change. It's another thing to say, well, what does the evidence say about the best way to get there? So the commission was looking at that and we've published a report um, and now it's time for action because it's all very well to, to write your um, report and put it out into the world. But what really matters is what then happens. So we're working with Lewis on that as well.
And just to your point about um, collaboration, I think collaboration between people of different backgrounds and different experiences is such an important part of how we're going to do things more creatively. Um, and I think some of the most interesting things in the world happen when people from different backgrounds come together. We talk a lot about diversity these days, which is fantastic. But diversity doesn't just mean having men and women and people of other genders around the table. It means having people who come from different walks of life, different backgrounds, different expertise and professions, because that's how you get that really interesting, creative coming together of, of ideas and, and perspectives. Well, obviously, we've all been hit by COVID, with shops only just reopening and businesses trying to find a new normal. It's not that normal. But how have you had to deal with the COVID-19 issues? And what changes have you made to your work and life balance as we come out of it? Yeah, so so it has been just the most profound shift for kind of the whole world. Um, it's it's been living through history in the making, and actually everything has gone really well for me work-wise and and for the academy. And the academy um, has been really active in supporting the role that engineers can play in responding to the COVID crisis. Um, but I think probably at a personal level, it's my most challenging period professionally. Uh, so one of the reasons for that is I've got two brilliant kids now, ten and twelve, and I've always relied on being able to kind of compartmentalise, you know, split my life into home and work, family and work, um, for just keeping me sane and helping me juggle all the different things I have to do. And of course, when the first lockdown arrived, that you couldn't really split your life up in that way at all. So sitting there in my online meetings with my daughter at my side was so different from what I was used to. So I think that that ability to be kind of super focused on family and when I'm with my family and super focused on work when I was at work um, has, you know, it's had to evolve. And I think I've learned a lot from that. Um, there've been some real benefits. I've spent some amazing time with my family. I never thought it was possible to spend as much time together and still do my job. Um, so that's been really special. And I'm thinking we're all learning how to manage that homework balance a bit better. Um, and I think, you know, it's really positive things going forward. So we've decided as an organisation that our staff only have to be in the office for about two days a week on average. And some people might not even do that. And everyone's really enjoying having more flexibility. I think it's quite funny, actually, looking back and thinking how many of us, I mean, the world over, thought that it would be impossible to manage if we weren't all going to the office every day. What we've shown is that we need to have much more imagination. We're, we're too quick sometimes to focus on the barriers instead of the opportunities. Well, I agree with you. A lot of people were very, not very forward looking about flexibility. But I have to say it's made a very big difference and probably a more of a positive difference to ways that everyone works. Well, as we said before, you have a PhD in biochemistry. What do you love so much about it and what made you want to study it? <laughs> um, so yeah, biochemistry is not not a thing that I would have known even existed when I was eleven. I think I, <laughs> I sort of vaguely knew what science was, or I thought I did. Um, but the reason I love biochemistry is because it enabled me to understand the world at a level that I found satisfying. Right, so you can understand the world in terms of looking at the stars and understanding the cosmos and the universe. You can understand the world in terms of how ecosystems work, like how organisations relate. Sorry, organisms like different species of animal and things relate to each other but for me I, under, I like to understand it at the level of cells and molecules so the sort of the fundamental building blocks that our bodies are made of and also it was really practical because it, it 
it's really the science that underpins medical research. And I really like the idea of being able to work on societal problems that um, matter to people that, you know, you could you could see it impacted on people's lives. Um, so for me, it was like discovering that we we live and we all kind of know and, and, and you know, can have an admiration for human life. But all of a sudden I had this key and I could see things that most of us never had any clue were happening inside our bodies every minute of every day. And honestly, it was more unbelievable than science fiction. It is so amazing what our bodies do every day. And in a way, engineering is kind of the complement to that because it's saying we use that knowledge to do useful stuff and to improve the world around us. Well, well you're right. There's a lot more going in here and here um, than we think a lot, lot more. But I guess you probably understand it a bit more than me. <laughs> now, when we look at social media, which I know plays a huge part in all of our lives, and has probably become an even bigger part because of COVID and probably before that also, what advice would you give girls, say, about my age, about how to use it and maybe probably not use it? Well, uh, I'm starting this with a bit of hesitancy because you're probably a better source of advice, Grace, than I am, because I'm ancient in digital terms. But for what it's worth, I would say that social media can be an amazing tool, but we must never forget that we are the masters and social media is a tool. So you have to decide what you want to get out of it and use it in the way that works for you. And if you start to feel like the, the, the social media is a master, you know that something has gone wrong and you need to rebalance it. And I'd say that in our digital world, there are just so many different versions of the truth, so many opinions, so much choice, so many people to compare yourself to that probably the single most useful thing you can do is to have a really strong sense of who you are, like to know who Grace is or to, who Hyatton is and have a have a really clear sense of who you are what makes you you, what makes you happy and what's right for you. Because then if you've got that really strong sense of your own identity, it's so much easier to navigate yeah. the world around you, whether that's physically or digitally. And so, you know, you can use that to see how is this making me feel? If I'm not feeling right when I'm using this, something's not working about my relationship with social media. So I don't put it in the category of it's all evil or it's all amazing. It's more um, that like all technologies, it's there for us to use in a way that is useful. And we need to be really mindful and aware Definitely. whether we're achieving that or not. Well, as I said, when I was introducing you, you do a lot of things. I still don't know how you find the time, but I guess you are pretty busy. But you do so many things and you have done so many things. But is there anything that you still want to do either personally or professionally? <laughs> well i think the answer must be yes and that's why i keep taking on new things so i, try, I guess so i try to i try to just kind of have some boundaries because at the end of the day you know if you're just if you just spend your whole life exhausted and, and burnt out then then it's probably not worth doing all the things you're doing um but yeah actually i i can see lots of places where i think um I'd love to be part of making positive change happen. And that's kind of what keeps me going. So within engineering, there is still so much more to do. We don't have enough uh, girls who are choosing engineering careers. We don't have enough people from different parts of society saying, yeah, I can see this as a great career for me. So that's one of the things that I'm really passionate about. Um, but also it's a funny thing that careers are going to be so long now. So if I've been working for about 25 years, I'm probably halfway through my career. That's mad. You think about that. It's like 50 years of your life. 
And so so I think we have to think more about career chapters rather than this is my job and I start at the bottom and I just work my way up to the top and then I kind of retire. We've got to just expect that life is going to involve a whole range of different activities. And I think it's quite helpful as well. You know, you have your core job, but then you have the other thing to do alongside it. So I think of work as kind of like an equation. And that equation also includes the rest of your life. And that equation should add up to a feeling of satisfaction and you're putting your energies in the right place. But not all of the satisfaction might come from your job. Some of it might come from the things you hang off the side of your job, um, like those other commissions and things that I chair. Some of it might come from voluntary work that you do. Some of it might come from mentoring that you do. You know, there's all sorts of things, all sorts of ways to make yourself happy. But I think trying to work out what is it that gives you satisfaction in your life and makes you feel motivated to keep on getting up each day. It's really important. So, um, yeah, I'm not done yet, Grace. <laughs> I can tell. <laughs> I can really tell. Well, I don't know about you. Well, you'll probably think the same way, but who knows? Um, science and chemistry and all of the sciences and STEM in particular, I would always think is quite male dominated and maybe hasn't got as much diversity than it really should do. But what advice would you give to girls who want to work in a male-dominated environment, maybe not STEM, maybe law or sport or media, what advice would you give to them when they want to go into industry that might be like that? So I think the advice to them is the advice that I would give to anybody because, you know, all sorts of different ways in which we might fail to find ourselves in a minority or feeling less secure or whatever – that's that can be a whole bunch of different reasons. And it might be because, you know, you're the only woman in the room, but it might be because um, other people have the same hobby and you don't. Or it might be because you've got caring responsibilities and other people don't. So there's all sorts of reasons that you can feel um, a bit disadvantaged or a bit less visible. And so the things I would say are really, really important when you think about careers. Find things that you care about that excite you. It could be something really specific, like it might be you know you want to be an engineer, but it might also be that you really want to work in New York or have a job where you can travel loads, or you might be yeah. really enthusiastic about working with animals. You might love numbers. You might want a job that's, you know, about organising things because it makes you really happy to feel like you're you're, organ- you're a great organiser. It doesn't matter. But what what does matter is that your heart's in what you do for your work, because then the difficult bits feel worthwhile. And that's also where the confidence comes from, because you know that you're doing something that you care about and that passion comes through. The second thing I always say is that the person who can make most difference to your career is you. Hopefully you'll have great bosses and work friends and people who advise you and, and help you up the career ladder. But actually you the biggest the biggest influence in your life will be you and how you respond to the opportunities you get. So believe in yourself. Make sure you're ambitious for yourself. Don't wait to be invited. Don't wait for the opportunities to come to you. Put yourself forward. Ask for help. Be active in shaping your career as you are already doing, Grace. I mean, you know, I, you're, you're a great role model in that sense. And then the third thing I would say is always think about what difference you want to make in the world. It doesn't matter if you want to make loads of money. Still think about what difference you want to make in the world. And that can be... How do you want the people who work with you to feel like what do you want them to remember you about? You know, she was a great colleague because or she was an amazing boss because. Yeah. Think about what impact you want to have. And if you think about that from the start, it will help you make good choices and it will help you um, convince people that you're the right person to do that thing. So those would be my pieces of advice. And although I have had, you know, almost my entire experience of being 
in an environment where I am in a minority, I still think those are three fundamental lessons that I've taken away from the first chapter of my career anyway. <laughs> now, before we go, I have to ask, how did you feel when you found that you had got a CBE? And have you got to see the Queen yet? <laughs> yeah, well, in my job, I get to nominate loads of people for awards and stuff. and I love it. It's a great see yeah. those quiet heroes getting recognised. So I was very um, uncomfortable being on the other end of it. It was <laughs> something I was used to. And I was kind of embarrassed. It's, it sounds silly to say it, but I felt really self-conscious and I didn't really believe it until you, know, you get told up in advance and then it all gets published. It took ages before I was convinced it's really going to happen. Yeah. Um, but despite all my um, kind of, you know, scepticism about whether it was going to be a nice day or not, I went with my husband to the palace last month. Um, Prince Charles very kindly gave me my CBE and it was such a lovely day. Um, so when I was your age, I would never have dreamed I'd end up getting an honour like that. I mean, not in a million years and especially not for working in engineering, which I don't think I knew existed. So it just goes to show that anything is possible, Grace. Was Prince Charles nice? I would have always thought he's quite nice. He was lovely. And it, I, it must be so hard to have like a personal conversation with each person that goes up. But it was he was so good. We had a great chat about engineering and um, my husband got involved. So it was lovely. <laughs> well, I've really enjoyed chatting to you today, Hyaton. Thank you so much. And I'm sure everyone listening will now be thinking about some of the choices they're about to make in their careers. Keep listening to the re to the new season of the Reach Next Generation podcasts as I talk to many more brilliant women. Thank you to our sponsors, Haynes Watts, Levi Strauss, Swinton Insurance and Talk Talk for their amazing and continued support.